Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Man, I'm excited to share these thoughts with you today. So he writes here, he says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have lost all sensitivity and have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. In other words, what he's saying is they have lost every bit of moral sensibility. And now they are living by their emotions, their feelings, their senses. Sensuality is just that that sense that I have, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual or whatever it is, those senses, especially the five senses, sight, taste, and all of that, he says they're living according not to the sensitivity to their morality or sensitivity to the Lord. They're living according to their sensuality, and they're indulging in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There is something that I think we miss if we're not very careful about the things that God provides. Many of them we have to apply. So he says you have to put off the old self, put on the new He says I'll provide it, you must apply it to your life. So Father in Jesus name, we pray today that we would we would apply the new life that you have given us. We believe that our lives can be transformed, not just saved and redeemed, but transformed. We don't just have the opportunity to be saved, but we have the opportunity because of what you have done in us to now be sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus. So help us to not fall so in love with the world that we forget who we're supposed to live like and follow. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Man, Romans 12, it's a very famous portion of scripture for people who've been in church for any period of time. You've never heard Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a very important portion of scripture in your faith. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, I don't want you to conform to the patterns of this world. He says, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in both Ephesians and Romans, what we notice here is Paul's audience, it's churches. He's writing these letters to churches. These are Christians who have experienced salvation but are struggling with transformation. Here's the thing. You can be saved and not be experiencing transformation. That's what's happening to these Christians in Ephesus and Rome. He says, you have been saved. I'm talking to believers, people who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Your life has been saved. You have been redeemed when 
Jesus returns, you are going to be with him. But I didn't just save you so you can make heaven someday. I saved you so that in this world you can live a life that is transformed and renewed day by day. So you can throw off the old patterns of the way you used to live and embrace a new pattern in Christ Jesus. Anybody remember when you first learned to drive? You first learned to drive? I'll never forget. My in-laws are here today. My wife's parents are here today. Can we just make a little bit of noise for Ed and Jerry? I love them so much. Uh, I'll never forget. I was 17 years old. My dad was letting me drive all the way to Pennsylvania. Now my 20-year-olds come to me and like, Dad, can I go to Pennsylvania? I'm like, no, it's not happening. But uh, I'll never forget that, just that young and, and driving that far. But I remember when I first started driving, do you remember how rigid you were when you first started to drive? And how, have you ever been in the car with someone who's learning how to drive and just the way they brake is annoying? Just the way they take off from a stoplight annoys you. You just want to lose your mind. But after a while, you get so comfortable with driving. Now you've, you're eating a full five-course meal in your car. You've got a knife out, a fork, a spoon. I pass a lot of y'all, and you're putting makeup on. You know what I'm talking about? I was, we were in Florida just recently. We were walking the streets, and I was just looking and watching all the cars pass, and I decided to count. from. I was two blocks away from our hotel, and I decided to count how many people were on their phone in their car before I got to my hotel. It was 34 people were on their phone. And I'm like, how are we not just constantly experiencing car accidents? Well, what happens with us is as we do something for a period of time, it moves from our conscious thinking into our subconscious. So we do it without even thinking. Have you ever been driving and you like, all of a sudden you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> like, I, was, I was literally driving one time and I got to this gas station. I'm sitting there like, I don't even know how this happened like I feel like I slept through the whole thing you know what I'm talking about the other day I was having a conversation with Oliver and we were arguing over who's the greatest basketball player of all time and thank God for Nathan wearing the Jordan logo this morning because we we all know who it is but but anyhow some of them is like when <laughs> Larry Bird <laughs> 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 John Stockton. Um, no, sorry. Um, so we were <laughs> we were having this argument, and I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about anything else but this argument. So I'm driving, and I turn right, and then I take another right, and then I'm pulling into this driveway, and it's my old house. <laughs> Anybody ever done this? Like you live somewhere for such a long period of time that you you find yourself just on autopilot. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about these patterns that we get in, these worldly patterns that start to take us places we don't want to go anymore. I don't want to go to that house anymore. The people who live there definitely don't want me showing up to that house anymore. But if we're not careful, we will get into patterns of thinking and ways of doing things, and we will be led to places we don't want to go anymore, places God has saved us from, places God has rescued us from. He's given us a brand new house and a brand new driveway and a brand new route. Come on, somebody. We keep finding ourselves, don't we, driving to the old place. I do this unintentionally, we think a certain way. Unintentionally, because it's in my subconscious. That's why the Bible talks about the Word of God. It's so powerful 
that it gets into your thoughts and intentions. It doesn't just deal with what you are doing. It deals with why you are doing what you are doing. And so Paul says, I want you to go deeper than just, I'm not really even talking about behavior modification. He doesn't address their behavior. He talks about their thinking. Because until the thinking pattern changes, you will keep seeing the same problems, he's saying. So here's, here's a thought for you. If you keep experiencing the same relational problems, maybe the issue is the pattern that you follow for relationships. Maybe the issue isn't the person. Maybe the issue is your attraction. You're just like, oh, man, all these terrible people just keep finding themselves in my life. <laughs> maybe it's not that they're so bad and maybe it's that you're not compatible because your attractions are off. And instead of dealing with your attractions, you keep trying to fix people. OK, so at some point in your life, you have to decide I'm going to stop playing whack-a-mole with my life. Right? I'm going to have to take my mind, my thought life seriously because the battleground for our life is our thought life. Our spirit, Romans talks about this. Paul talks about how my spirit and my flesh, they're waging war on one another. And the battleground that they are fighting on is my mind. Right? So at some point I have to make a decision that I'm going to take renewal seriously. What I found out about most people when they come to church is most people don't come to church for renewal. They come to church for relief. And this is tough because we can find ourselves in a pattern of coming to church and we're coming to church a lot and nothing is changing. It's because you are coming to church for relief and not renewal. How do you know people are coming to church for relief? It's because the only time they show up is when they're in pain. The only time they praise is when they're in a crisis. <laughs> the, only time, the only time they pray is when they need an answer. And God is like, there are some areas of your life that you don't have to keep coming to me for relief from those things. I can actually give you renewal. You can experience transformation and you don't have to struggle there anymore. Can somebody give God some praise that I don't have to keep... I, church does not have to become another drug for me. So I don't have to treat symptoms the rest of my life. I can actually experience renewal. When, when Paul in Romans talks about renewal, the word renewal there just means renovation. It means he wants your mind to be renovated. This is, this is interesting because if we're not careful, we become so adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking about it and we have to make intentional decisions to stand out from our culture so that we don't follow the same patterns as the culture so in Daniel chapter 1 uh, Daniel and his friends they're brought in to the king's court and they're there um, because of their their ability their skill and they give them this diet this regimen of food that they're supposed to eat and Daniel says hey um, I want to do it differently. And the guard, the royal guard says, hey, I can't allow you to do that because if you eat differently than these men and then you end up looking worse off than them, I'm going to get in trouble. 
So Daniel says, just give it 10 days. Let me eat what I want to eat, and they can eat what they're going to eat. And at the end of the 10 days, let's just see whose life, whose health, whose complexion is better. And at the end of the 10 days, the royal guard comes and he looks at Daniel. And he says, man, you look better than these guys who have been eating the choice meat and the best wine. And what does he do? He changes. Not only does he recognize that Daniel's life was better, he actually changes the diet of everybody else to match Daniel's. And some people are like, how are we going to change the world? You know, we're going to. Are we going to change the laws? I think we should. There should be some laws that we should address. But I think the greatest way that a Christian changes the world is just by looking better. By having a better life, better outcomes, making better decisions. So that when the world looks at us and they say, man, you look good. How did you? And we turn and point back to the Lord and say, if it had not been for God. Daniel's like, this isn't about my food. This isn't about what I chose. This is about the God that I serve. This is about honoring God. And when I honored God with my decisions, God made me look different. And when I look different, I don't have to convince the world that I am. And I think this is where the church finds their issue right now is we are, we are, we are so not different that right now we live in a culture that, is trying, that we are trying to change, but we don't want to look different than the culture the way we change the culture is to look different than the culture. So good that they look at us and say, man, how in the world does your life look like? How are you going through something so similar to me? But you have peace. You have strength. You have joy. That's because Thessalonians tells me, Paul wrote in Thessalonians, he said, he said, man, I rejoice always. I pray without ceasing. I give thanks in all things. And so the reason I can look great in this situation is because you took it as an opportunity to run in fear. I took it as an opportunity to rejoice in my God, to call out on the name of the Lord. So we do it different so that they can see the difference. Let me talk to you about renovation. Let me give you five uh, just Five principles of renovation that I think will help you open your life up to renewal and not just relief. Because I think sometimes we think that renewal is, is a long service. Or back in the 90s, the church went through a time of renewal. There was a revival that happened in Toronto. And a lot of churches like ours, churches with charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds in history, they started to experience a, a renewal. Well, what was happening was they were just having long church services. People were doing some strange, interesting things in church, and they called that renewal. Well, renewal is not a goosebump. Renovation is not a long service. It's actually a demolition of something old, <laughs> so that something new can be built. Renewal is actually, and the reason people resist renewal in their own lives and settle for relief is because they don't like demolition. They don't like the messiness of re renovation. A lot of people love the, the, the new construction. Anybody like me? I'm just, I'm not like, I, Nathan here on the front row, Nathan bought a house and he went in and he tore walls down and he built 
new kitchen and all of that stuff. Like my whole life, I have to go in and it's like, like somebody else has to have built it for me. And it can't be like somebody else can't have lived in it. I don't like renovation. Like I, when some, like if the dishwasher breaks down, I'm like, let's sell our house. We need to move. <laughs> That's how I am. I don't like renovation. Why? Because I don't like the mess of renovation. I don't like the inconvenience of renovation. I don't like the fact that I can't use that room when I want to use that room and they're working on that room. Oh. So this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He says that we live in the world. We don't wage war as the world does. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, he's saying it, there, is a, there is a stronghold that needs to be demolished. Now, the stronghold is not the thought. The stronghold is the thing you have built around the thought to protect the thought. It's the thing that you use to justify thinking the way you think. And so very often, we're again, God is not trying to modify your behavior. He's trying to modify your thinking. Because if he can get a hold of your thinking, he can change your behavior. So he's trying to, get a, he's trying to deal with the, the reason you think that way and the protections you have built around the way you think and the things and structures that you have built in your life to protect you from being affected in that area of your life. For instance, if you have been hurt maybe in the area of money and someone gets up and a pastor gets up and he starts to talk about, hey, we need a million dollars, you immediately, poof, stronghold. Because you've been taking advantage in that area. You remember a five-year-long building campaign and nobody built nothing. You remember the thing out in the hallway where it was going up and bubbling over and you never saw any construction happening. So there's this part of us that builds a structure, a stronghold around the way we think to justify the way we think. And God says, I want to deal with the stronghold. Not just the behavior. I want to deal with the stronghold that makes you think the way you think about relationships, about money, about work, about sexuality, about your life, about your marriage, about your children. I want to deal with that because if we don't tear down the stronghold, we will never get to the argument. We will never get to the pretension. We will never get to the thought. Number two, it's the removal, right, of something old to make room for something new. So number one, it's messier than construction, so very often we resist it. Number two, we just like the way we do things. We love new when it's our idea. We love change when we make the change. The reason we struggle with the Lord is because we don't like the change he likes to bring. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 22 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will shrink away from the old and a worse tear will result. So that's why when God saves you, he doesn't patch up the old version of you. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
But the problem is you still have this flesh that's old. And it constantly wants to tear away from the new. Come on, somebody. And so if you're not careful, you, will, you, won't, you won't crucify the flesh daily. See, a lot of us, we go to church, but we don't crucify the flesh. A lot of us sing songs, but we don't crucify the flesh. A lot of us lift our hands, but we don't crucify the flesh. We don't crucify the flesh by going to church. We crucify the flesh by denying ourselves what we want to do in our flesh and saying yes to the Spirit of God. And that way we draw, new, we draw near to the new thing and we tear away from the old thing instead of the old thing tearing us away. Come on, somebody, from the new thing. And then he says, and you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. Because you'll burst the old wineskin because the new wine likes to and needs to expand. It needs to, it needs to expand. And so we are trying to, God is saying, I want to remove an old way of thinking to make room for a new way of thinking. Number three, it opens up narrow places. One of the first things they do if you watch shows about renovation is they'll come into a house and if you walk into the house and the front entrance is very narrow, they're like, we need to open this up. We need to take this wall down and we need to do this and make sure that they can see this and see that. And so when they do that, they're opening it up because it's a narrow place. It's the increase of capacity because it's like, it's like what happened in 1 Chronicles 4 and 10 when Jabez prays and he says, enlarge the place of my territory. What Jabez was doing was contrary to what his, his name said he should be doing. Jabez was born and his mother named him Pain. So when Jabez was born, he was so painful in, in childbirth that his mom says, you're Pain. <laughs> That's your name. And Jabez prays and he says, God, I want you to enlarge the place of my narrowness. He says, so that I don't cause or hurt anyone. In other words, he's saying, I want to do the very opposite that my parents constructed me to do. I was told I would be pain. I was told that I was one that caused pain. I was told that for the rest of my life, everybody around me would experience pain because of me. They constructed an idea about me that was too narrow for me. And some of y'all need to open up some walls because what was put on you was a limitation that's too narrow for you. And you are bigger than that. You need to be able to have a more open. So you need to pray over your life. The opposite of what people declare and say over you. You need to pray. If they say you're not enough, God, tell, God convince me. Talk to me about how I am enough in you. When people say you cannot, talk to them about a God who can. When people say you will not, talk to, a God, talk to them about a God who will. You need to declare the opposite of what's been declared over you. That narrow space. This is how he changes the way we think. Number four, a lot of times when people do a renovation, they do it to make the place they are in their own. In other words, it was either a house they were living in and somebody gave it to them or they buy a house that somebody else was living in and in order to make it feel like their home, they renovate it so that it feels personal to them. So much of our thinking is shaped by the thinking we grow up around. And so 
in Judges chapter 6, God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, I want to use you, but I need you to tear down the idols of your father. I need you to not only tear down the idols of your father, but I need you to build an altar that worships God alone. What was he saying? He was saying, in order to use you, I need to change the thing that you and your family have oriented their life around. I need to change the way you and your family think. I need you to instead to instead of thinking about the gods of Baal, I need you to think about the one true and living God. I need you to offer your life and orient your life around God. And sometimes the stuff that we believe, it's been handed to us and it is not good. Sometimes the perspective you have is not yours. It's actually something you grew up around and you need to renovate. You need to allow your mind to be renovated so that you, you begin to allow God to change the way you think. Because some of the most difficult areas of our life to break through are the areas that we, things that we believe because aunt so-and-so told us it was true. You grew up around a a mom who had been hurt, and she's like, men are dogs. And you have this mindset that men are just dogs. You grow up around someone who accepts a certain lifestyle, and you grow up thinking that that lifestyle is okay. You grow up around someone who worships a a certain God, and you grow up worshiping that same God. We are very much a product of the environment we have spent most of our lives in. And God says, I need to change those patterns because some of the things that have been handed down to you by your parents and by your aunts and by your uncles and by your family, they are not good things. They are actually destroying your life. And you need to make this faith your own. Let me give you a fifth principle. My brother and sister-in-law, they, they love to renovate. And so... Years ago, they bought an older home in the city. And when they went into this home, they went in and they, they realized that the walls were made of, I had no idea this was a thing, but they're made of horsehair plaster. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Horsehair plaster. Um, well, come to find out, this is toxic. It's dangerous. It can have asbestos in it. Anybody grow up in a school of asbestos? You know what I'm talking about. Um, And these things we discovered, yeah, they built walls with these things and constructed uh, places with these things, but these are actually dangerous for our health. And breathing these things in is harmful and toxic to us. (laughs) Wow, they were walls, but they were killing us. Stable walls, but they were killing us. And I I realized that in Matthew chapter 4, the enemy is tempting Jesus. And he he says to Jesus, Jesus comes off of a fast. And the enemy's like, you got to be hungry. He's like, I think you should turn these stones that you see on the ground to bread. And Jesus looks back at him. He says, it is written. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the enemy challenges him. He takes him up to this pinnacle, this high place. And he says, hey, you should throw yourself down from here. And then he goes, it is written. 
The devil says it is written, and he quotes scripture. He'll give his angels charge over thee. They'll come and bear you up. Jesus says it is also written. Can I tell you that just because someone uses the Bible or uses the word of God, it does not mean that God is using them. And some of the things that have been constructed in your life, they look like walls, but they're killing you. They look like the word, but they're destroying your life. See, what the enemy does is he uses the word. And when the word is used out of context, it actually becomes a weapon that the enemy uses to destroy people. Instead of a tool that God uses to free people. So God wants to renew your mind because you've got some asbestos in here. You've got some horsehair plaster in here. They look like walls, but they're killing you. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, I'll end here. God speaks to Joshua, who at this time does not feel strong. His dear friend and his leader, Moses, is dead. And God looks at Joshua in Joshua 1 and 9, and he says, hey, be strong. Joshua doesn't feel strong. He looks at him, he says, be courageous. Joshua doesn't feel courageous. And I think the principle that God is trying to teach us is this, that sometimes I have to be strong before I feel strong. And the way the word works is that the only way it has the power to renovate my mind is if I put it into action before I feel it. And a lot of people are waiting to feel what God says before they do it. But the only the only way it can come in and begin to really renovate and change you is if you start becoming it before you feel it. Remember, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the willingness to act in spite of it. So Joshua makes a decision that we all have to make. He makes the decision that I'm going to leave my feelings behind so I don't have to leave my purpose behind. So he moved in spite of how he failed, he felt. So if we are not careful, we will forfeit what God wants to give us because we are being led by our emotions. And here is the main issue with our culture. Our culture is led by its emotions. This culture does not want to receive correction because correction doesn't feel good. So we have to babysit adults in their feelings. We live in a world full of toddlers losing their mind in a target because they cannot get the toy they wanted. And what is happening in our world today is we are experiencing the spirit of Cain. And anytime someone in church says, oh, there's a spirit of Jezebel or anything, don't get too spooky spiritual. The, the word spirit in the Old Testament very often just means a way of thinking. So when somebody says they have the spirit of Cain, they're not saying they're possessed by Cain. They're, they're thinking the way Cain thought. And this is what happened in Genesis 4 with Cain. God comes to Cain after Cain has offered him an offering. And God says, no, I don't accept it. Cain gets all in his feelings and he gets mad and he gets upset. 
God says, why are you all in your feelings? If you'll do what's right, I'll accept it. But instead of changing his, instead of changing his thinking, Cain killed his brother. And this is where we live right now. We live in a culture that cannot be corrected. Why? Because we have access to so much information. We're being told by everybody around us that our feelings are king. Let me tell you something. Your feelings are not king. And whether you realize it in this life or not, there is a day coming where the king of kings will be in front of you. And you will give an account for every deed done in your body. You will answer to God for everything you've done. And you don't get to say to God, well, I felt like God will return to you and he will say, but my word says, and my word has the final say and authority. And I just wonder if there are some people in the room who would say, maybe you don't feel like saying this, but maybe you're just going to go ahead and be it before you feel it. Maybe you want to stand to your feet and say, God, I give your word lordship preeminence, full authority in my life. Say to me, correct me. Don't let me get stuck in my feelings and miss my purpose. Renew my mind. I know it's messy. I know it changes things. I know it messes with the way I've always thought about it and always done it. But I don't want my way, God. I want your way. Anybody in the room just want to say that to God today? I don't want my way, God. I want your way. So in Jesus' name, help us today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Robbie, man, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe that's because you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're in the room today and you've walked away from God and been doing your own thing. But today you want to return to the Lord or you want to say yes to God for the first time in your life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three in just a minute. And when I do, I want you to throw that hand up in the air and we're going to pray. And I believe in this moment, God is going to begin to save you, but he's also going to begin the process of transformation. And if you will allow him, he can change everything about you. He can take all of the old things and make them new in your life. So if that's that's you today and you want to receive Jesus or you want to make your way back to the Lord today, that's you. One, two, three, throw your hand up in the air if that's you. I see you back there. See you there. Awesome. See you there, sir. Come on, anybody else? Throw a hand up real high so I can see. I see you over here. Awesome. Come on, church. Let's pray with those that lifted their hands this morning. Let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and bless God for all of those decisions today. Any Christians in the room just want to go ahead and throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I'm open for renewal. I'm open for renovation. Do what you want. Do what you will. In Jesus' name, thank you, God, that you love me so much to save me where I was, but thank you that you love me too much to leave me where I was. You want to transform my life. In Jesus' name, thank you. And I'm opening up to you. Correct me. Do what you want. Say what you want. Your voice is 
has the authority. You are not just my Savior. You are my King. You are my Lord. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time and thank God for what he's doing in our lives. Amen. I love you. You are dismissed. If you made a decision today or you need prayer today, we'd love to meet you up front. Our prayer team will be here. See you soon.